if we do not tone down the rhetoric on both sides, I really fear that 2020 could be the most violent year in America mm -hmm. since probably 1968. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning. This week we're talking one-on-one -on -one with presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, who was here in Indianapolis on Thursday. The mayor talking about the race for president. The week that was and the rather ugly tone in Washington in recent days. We'll have that interview in just a minute. But first, Nick McGill with a recap of the mayor's speech. Young voters will be a big key for Buttigieg's success in the 2020 campaign. The big question, though, can he connect with those in his generation? For this group of young Democrats. We're incredibly excited that Mayor Pete is joining us here tonight. The hope is that Young gets it done. I'm excited to see a young candidate and energize us and show us that young people can go out and get it done. Polls place Buttigieg in the top five of a crowded Democratic field. Today, he looked to close that gap with the support of his fellow millennials, touching on topics like generational equality, health care, and President Trump. Because on one hand, we have to name and reject the kind of racism and demagoguery that tells a U.S. citizen to go back where she came from when everybody knows damn well where she came from is Minnesota. That's her home. During his speech, Buttigieg took aim at the president for recent racially charged remarks he made on Twitter. Meanwhile, Mayor Pete himself has struggled securing African-American support. That's not the only challenge Buttigieg faces. First of all, he's going to have to make it to next May. Adam Wren, a contributing editor at Politico, says, ironically, an obstacle for Buttigieg is connecting with young people. He has a lot of support with older voters right now, um, but whether or not he can build support with younger voters, I think, is an important question. A question, the answer to which may lie in how speeches like these go over. Thanks. More with the mayor in just a moment, but we also have more reaction today to the president's tweets and the ensuing controversy. Congresswoman Susan Brooks in the spotlight this week. She said the president's tweets did not reflect American values, and she was one of four House Republicans to condemn the tweets in that vote this week. In a statement, she said, I believe our diverse backgrounds as Americans makes our country greater and stronger. These differences should be celebrated by all of us. Today, I voted to condemn the racially offensive remarks the leader of our country made. However, she says, I remain disappointed that Democrats refuse to hold their own members accountable. Congressman Jim Banks taking uh, that last part, taking that approach as well, saying until House Democrats remove Representative Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee or address her anti-Semitic remarks, Banks says it's hard to take any of their efforts to condemn the president seriously. This week, our Kayla Sullivan spoke with Senator Todd Young and Congressman Andre Carson, who voted this week to keep an impeachment resolution alive. I voted to start a conversation. Um, I had been hesitant for a while, but I think it's important to have a conversation to establish that this president is unfit for office. Those sentiments are highly inconsistent with my own views and that we need to focus a lot more on policies as opposed to people in Washington, D.C. If we do that, if we focus on the economic health, if we focus on kitchen table issues, uh, we'll remind the American people what the current leadership has been able to accomplish on their behalf. So are you saying that you condemn those specific tweets from the president? I'm saying they're highly inconsistent with my own views, which is something I've said consistently, and uh, I'll continue to say. I think it's unfortunate. I think you have a commander-in-chief. Um, in, in, in 2019, who was saying xenophobic things, saying racist things. 
Carson was part of a roundtable with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who was also here in Indianapolis for the Young Democrats event. Pelosi also sat down with the Indy Star's editorial board. They asked her for her thoughts on Mayor Buttigieg. She called him, quote, a leader for our country and said he is, quote, conducting himself in a way that conveys his dignity and beliefs. All right, now to that one-on-one -on -one with South Bend's mayor, who sat down with me Thursday for an InFocus exclusive. After his speech in Indianapolis, Mayor Pete Buttigieg had more to say about President Trump's rally and the attacks on four Democratic Congresswomen. Would the mayor even want the votes of those Trump supporters who chanted, send her back? Do you want to win those voters over? No, there, yeah, the reality is there are a lot of committed racists whose vote I'm never going to get, and that's all right. Uh, there are also some people who I think are thinking twice about the votes that they cast in 2016. This week, I sat down with the mayor for a one-on-one -on -one exclusive. The president now trying to disavow uh, those send her back uh, chants that we heard at his rally. What can you do, what would you do to try and heal some of these divisions in our country? Well, first of all, we need a president who believes in healing these divisions. I, I think what you have right now is a White House that actually finds racial divisions very useful and has almost uh, systematically set about making them worse. Uh, it really matters what kinds of messages come from the top. But it's more than, than just language and moral leadership. Uh, we really need policies to deal with racial divisions in our time. It's one of the reasons why I've set forward a Douglas plan that will address racial inequality across areas ranging from health to economic empowerment. Uh, we've got to do more or there will continue to be a divide and, and really two different countries experienced by different uh, groups of Americans. And there's no way that America can succeed while that's the case. You've talked about that Douglas plan. You've called it a, an intentional effort to dismantle racist structures and systems. W where do you begin in that regard? Well, we've got to tackle a lot of different dimensions of American life all at the same time. On one end of the spectrum, we're dealing with economic empowerment and access to capital. We have a goal to dramatically increase the number of minority entrepreneurs, uh, knowing that a lot of uh, black business people uh, struggle to obtain credit through a credit scoring system that's got a lot of bias in it. Uh, so it's everything from that to making sure that we invest in health equity to dealing with a criminal justice system that has so many disparities across it that it's going to need total systemic reform. Something, by the way, uh, that I actually think we can build a bipartisan coalition around. Uh, but it means uh, not only legalizing marijuana, but looking at expungements uh, and other measures that will make it possible for us to cut incarceration by half. The evidence is, as we do that, we can do that without an increase in crime, and America will be better off for it. But the mayor has also dealt with controversy on the issue of race, facing criticism over his handling of an officer-involved shooting in South Bend. At his speech in Indianapolis, he was met with some chants of his own. Black Lives Matter, we're on the same team. You have struggled in the polls with uh, African-American voters, and you've also faced some criticism after the police-involved shooting in South Bend. You heard some of the chants uh, in, in the hall here tonight. The Indiana GOP also put out a statement this week saying, if Pete Buttigieg can't handle being mayor of South Bend, what makes him think he could handle 
being president. What's your response to that? Well, uh, an urban mayor in today's times has to deal with these challenges head on. And uh, we've taken a number of steps in our community, but we're not going to be able to address it alone uh, as long as we're in a country where these racial inequities persist. Uh, I think there's a lot of very constructive activist energy uh, geared toward making sure that we don't have another generation where um, black Americans uh, wind up fearing law enforcement based on the mistreatment that they see uh, around the country today as well as the complicated history. And we've got to recognize that uh, while no uh, individual measure alone will sort this out. Uh, it's going to take uh, experience in confronting these issues head on and a willingness to name and discuss them, whether dealing with uh, audiences that are majority black or majority white. Indiana Republicans have been critical of the mayor. Here's what they said about him and other young Democrats coming to Indianapolis. Are you surprised to, to see Democrats coming here for, for a national event like this? Um, not necessarily. I'm surprised that, that the state Democrats want them here. I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, Hoosiers across this state in overwhelming numbers are uh, not really happy with where the National Democrat Party is going towards their socialist views, and nobody exemplifies that more than Mayor Pete. Young Democrats of America, yeah. uh, obviously why we're here. How crucial will young voters be in this election and for your campaign in particular? Well, young voters could make all the difference, but only if they turn out and vote. And so uh, what I wanted to do today was rally the uh, folks who are the most activated, the activists from around the country, to go out and turn and make sure their friends, their classmates, their neighbors are getting out to vote. You know, this uh, generation has the power of numbers, but uh, the turnout needs to match that. If young people rise up, it will decide. Uh, the course of our country. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to be here with them. Uh, finally, we've got the next debate coming up in Michigan. You often speak about the importance of the Midwest in this election cycle. You've been polling in fifth in many of the recent polls. What do you need to do in this next debate uh, to grow your base of support against uh, some of these uh, more experienced candidates? Well, unlike anybody else in that top tier, we still have a long way to go in name recognition. So even though we're doing very well among people uh, who have heard our message, there's a lot of Americans who haven't had the time to tune into the blow-by-blow -blow of the nominating process, and the debate is a fantastic opportunity to get on their radar. Uh, what we need to do is make sure that uh, everybody who's interested in the future has heard our message about American values, about how they lead in a progressive direction, about why we need something very different than what Washington has been delivering. Uh, I think that message will continue to resonate across the country, and the debate's one of the best chances we'll get all summer to get it in front of more people. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, thank you so much. Thank you. Good Appreciate you taking some time with us today. Same here. Thank you so thank much. You. All right, now before those debates in Michigan, the mayor will be back in Indy next week along with other presidential candidates for the National Urban League Conference. Mayor Buttigieg spent time at Indiana Black Expo this past week as well, meeting with attendees and with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, who you see there, whose opponent in the race for mayor, Jim Merritt, also spent time at IBE's summer celebration. All right, up next this Sunday in Focus, Congresswoman Susan Brooks getting a lot of attention for speaking out on the president's tweets. We'll talk with the panel about that and about some of the people who are hoping to replace her in Congress. And marking 50 years since the moon landing, how that giant leap is being honored in Washington and here in Indiana. Time now to bring in our panel, former state party chair of the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, Democratic strategist Laura Beck, and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. Robin, I'll start with you and your thoughts 
on the week that was? It was a lot. Um, you know, we had a president uh, telling people to go back. We had uh, our side saying uh, that he's crazy. We had members of his party getting awards because they stood up to racism. And in the middle of it, we had Indiana Black Expo going on, the Speaker of the House here in our, our city, and preparing next week for the National Urban League. And a presidential candidate coming here in Pete Buttigieg, who, like the other candidates, is certainly going after the president pretty hard on the events of this past week. He is, and a lot of people are. And I think the, the president's words were unfortunate. They were, they were horrible, actually. And I think Susan, Susan Brooks um, struck, the right, struck the right tone. But it was also a bad week because Bernie Sanders, who's been pushing for a $15 an hour minimum wage, will not pay his own unionized campaign workers $15 an hour. He's refusing to do so. So crazy week in politics. But, the, you know, other issues like that kind of getting drowned out here because of everything. Well, they do get drowned out, yeah. and, and not to drown you out, Dan, sorry. Um, but they do get <laughs> drowned out. And I think as we look at the last week, particularly with the tweets and the president's behavior, um, I often think that when his backup is against the wall, he goes back to these racially divisive political tactics. So we're not talking about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. We're not talking about kids in cages. We're not talking about um, the payoff to Stormy Daniels. Those things were all circulating this week as well. And we're not talking about it because he immediately goes to this distraction technique. Um, I hesitate to call his, I don't want to refer to his racist acts as a distraction, but I think in his mind, he feels like he gets all of us talking about something else and changes the narrative. He tried to disavow uh, himself from some of the chants, the send her back chants this week, but still it seems like a fight uh, the president wants to engage in. Tony, what's your view on this? I'm well, and, and, and I think, this is how I feel, I, I'm very confident in this, he wants to engage because there's a broader uh, uh, happening here in this country. Uh, there's a battle between where the far left wing, the radical wing of the Democrat Party wants to take this country, not just take their party, but take this country to socialism. And there's the majority of Americans that don't want that. But there's not enough attention on that fundamental issue, overarching issue. The president, what he did this week, no matter what his tactics are, he put the focus squarely on that socialism movement. And the Does majority it backfire, of though, in, in the, I don't think the so. The majority of the Americans chance. don't want to go. And even Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg in that piece said that we need something very different in Washington, talking about the progressive movement. The majority of Americans are happy with the economy, happy with the, the uh, emphasis on a, our, our military, happy with what the president's doing with veterans, happy with justice reform that the president has moved forward, happy with all kinds of things, and confident in this president. But there are small percentages on either, either side that get the attention, and this, this uh, socialism movement, those four congresswomen, but also Bernie Sanders, also Elizabeth Warren, and you see it in the candidates, the Democrat candidates, now trying to move the country in that direction. So the president has put the focus back where it belongs. Uh, I, Robin, go no, ahead. No, You're no, ready to no, talk. No, no you no. just chime in. I'm apoplectic. I'll do, I'll do I'm apoplectic <laughs> no. at this argument. You've talked your entire showpiece here. Um, I'm going to be the I've mom at the table. <laughs> I'm going to be the mom here. Um, I'm just apoplectic that that is the excuse for, again, his tweets and for the racist behavior. Um, we can certainly have a discussion uh, that focuses on issues without telling people to go back to their country when they're American citizens, for example. But again, we're not talking about the very issues that are dogging him right now. A week ago, we were talking about kids in cages and people who are in this 
horrible situation at the border. Um, NBC News, no offense to Fox, ran um, some video of Trump partying with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, you've got the Stormy Daniels payments that came out. We're not talking about some of those issues like that are really said, dogging yeah. him, and I think he's trying to do this massive distraction. The president is winning on all those issues. He's winning on all those issues. Look, look at what happened to Michael Cohen. Those, uh, everything's dropped with Michael Cohen. He's, he's going winning. to jail, and nobody else is. And go ahead. No, I do want to talk more about some of the Indiana impact with this as well. And Congresswoman uh, Susan Brooks, obviously, some of the statements. Mike, you mentioned it that she made this week, the vote that, uh, that she took, joining uh, three other House Republicans to condemn uh, the president's uh, tweets here this past week. Uh, Robin you, and Mike, let's get your reaction to, to Congresswoman Brooks. Yeah. Uh, she mentioned on the uh, late show with Stephen Colbert this week. Well, Susan I think Brooks she, again, I think she took the exact tone. She condemned what the president said, along with uh, Ivanka Trump going to see the president, saying you have to stop this, along with Mike Pence going to see the president, along with Kevin McCarthy, the leading member of the uh, House Republicans, condemning it. The House uh, uh, chaplain, in his own prayer, tried to bring people back together. Um, so I think, but she also said, Representative Omar has done some terrible things. This week, Omar introduced legislation to penalize companies who do business with Israel. That is anti-Semitic. Well, that is wrong. And, okay. and they, Robin, let's, Robin. Bring, let's bring this down a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, you said you would be the mom, I'll be the dad at the table here. <laughs> we need to quit all the rhetoric, okay? The bottom line is, is that we have a president that's got kids in cages, that has an immigration problem, that every time we get an issue, we, you guys pull out the old socialism. It used to be communism. But in the meantime, we, what we're going to start chanting is register to vote and get out to vote. And in 2018, which nobody gives us enough credit for, that happened. And we flipped Congress by 40-some seats. So I don't know where we're talking about people are buying into Donald Trump. They sure are not at the federal level because we picked up 40 seats. A new and speaker we'll see, who was here this you week. You'll see so what happens you in did 2020. You did in urban areas and you did against, no, did against well, well, for no. the most part, and you did with folks that weren't behind the president, and, and that's going to change. I wouldn't call my Western, that's gonna change. I uh, Tony, I wouldn't well, call I was, my I was I talking, call. I didn't interrupt you. Okay. As far as immigration goes, the president's been right on that issue. We have a crisis on the border, but the Democrats and those four congresswomen didn't vote for the help. And it's those four congresswomen that are intimidating everybody, but not this president. So He's standing up to them. Susan Brooks, uh, in the 5th District, you mentioned the 2018 midterms. Obviously, right. a lot of focus now on the 2020 midterms as well, because especially in the 5th District, a lot of candidates on both sides of the aisle uh, lining up to replace Congresswoman Brooks. Last week, we spoke with Christina Hale. This past week, fellow Democrat Dee Thornton officially launched her campaign. We need people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and, and really have a can-do attitude and to, to compromise and, and get things done. Ran against Brooks last year, losing 56-43, the closest anyone's uh, come in a long time to pulling an upset in the fifth. But this year, Thornton has uh, a formidable opponent in, in the primary for the nomination, former state rep Christina Hale, who entered the race last week. This week, she announced she raised $100,000 in the first 100 hours of her campaign, which is more than half uh, what Thornton uh, raised all of last year's campaign. I, I spoke with Hale last week. I'm not worrying about any of that, really. Um, what gets me up in the morning are the issues, and I care about people, and I think when people talk to me on a human level, they know that, and they know me to have been somebody who's available, and that person who'd, you know, have meet-up hours in public with everyone I served, all my constituents. In the meantime, a long list of Republicans considering a run in the fifth as well. We've heard about Greg Ballard, Steve Braun, perhaps. Also, I'm told former Senate primary candidate Terry Henderson is now staffing up for a run in the fifth. 
could be a pretty crowded primary. It, it will be crowded, and you got to also throw in that uh, list, Kelly Mitchell, the Kelly incumbent Mitchell, the treasurer. Uh, state yeah. treasurer. I understand she's put her house up for sale so, so she can move the several blocks it takes her to get into the district. So it, that will really come down to leadership of the Republican Party. It's, it's, I don't think it's any ever any good idea to have 20 people running in a race in a primary, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. And I hope that the chairman of the Republican Party quietly talks to people and says, it's not your turn. We want these two or three people the, to run. The chairman, by the way, who also at one time had considered perhaps running for the seat, yes. now he's he not said and he's no. going to be Holcomb's campaign manager. That's for right. It's also John Ruckel's house. That's uh, right. And, and one name that uh, people are encouraging, I don't think she'll do it, but Susie Jabrowski, who is the Trump state director, uh, is being pushed for by some okay. Keep in mind that, that Joe Donnelly won this district. And when you talk about a referendum on wrong. Donald yeah. Trump, yeah. Joe Donnelly won a district that we have never won for Congress but he won that, that district. The suburbs in and around Indianapolis, yeah. not rural areas, but the suburbs in and around Indianapolis are becoming more and more purplish and leaning our way. So this is going to be a competitive seat. The president wasn't on the ticket okay. when Donald mm -hmm. We got to leave it there. We'll here have much more coming up on our podcast. Coming up next, we're looking back and looking up above the mission to the moon 50 years later. Well, this weekend marks 50 years since we landed on the moon, and in the midst of everything else happening in our country this week, it is worth remembering that we did that 50 years ago in the midst of what was also a pretty divided time in our history. Meantime, quite a sight this week in the nation's capital as the image of Apollo 11 was projected right onto the Washington Monument. This weekend, Vice President Pence was in Cape Canaveral and also at the Air and Space Museum in Washington to get an up-close look at the space suit Purdue grad Neil Armstrong wore as he made that walk on the moon 50 years ago. We'll be right back after this. Right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tony. I want to say my dad. He's in the hospital, not doing so well, but hanging in there, and he's a fan of the show, so hang in there, Dad. Right on. Wishing him all the best. Thank you. Yeah. Laura. Uh, my winner is the Indiana Young Democrats for the convention they had this week, and my loser is Donald Trump. Mike? Winner has to be Susan Brooks for a statesmanlike, uh, forthright condemnation of Trump's words, and my loser has to be Bernie Sanders for refusing to pay the same wage he advocates for to his... Uh, his uh, campaign workers. Robert. All the people that were at NASA that got us to the moon. I yeah. mean, you know, that is just overwhelming feat. Other winner is uh, the people downtown right now at Indiana Black Expo, putting a lot of economic dollars into our, our community's till. All right, we'll leave it there. We thank you all for being here this week, and we thank you for watching. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, here on the podcast, some bonus content with our panel, Tony Samuel, Laura Beck, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston. Uh, we had this conversation, obviously, about the Trump tweets, about everything that's happened this past week. And uh, we, we were talking behind the scenes here. Tony told us that he kind of brought a prop to explain. I did. I, I to explain that you've been defending the president. And yeah. I know you, 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 you wanted to bring this prop out and explain. We've all been guessing what it is. Well, We don't know what it is. We're about it, to find it, out here on the podcast. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll bring it out. It should just... It by saying it just wasn't quite the right conversation to bring it out, which I'm glad. Because we were too busy. But now I will. Other. Yeah. So so many people. It's have a multi-layered question. The, the yeah. tweets and and uh, and and called him a racist, and it, really they're calling everybody a racist, right? I mean, now the other day I heard that uh, Star Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt, the actor, <laughs> uh, has been called a racist for wearing the "Don't Tread on Me" T-shirt. I've heard some people right? though try to make the distinction that they weren't necessarily 
although some do, that some people were saying they weren't necessarily calling the president a racist, but calling these tweets racist. Is there a distinction? You're responsible for your tweets. Yeah. I mean, just like a candidate's responsible for what they say during their campaign. Um, he's responsible for the tweets, and he should have manned up, but he didn't. You, when you do advance work on a campaign, you have somebody come out before the candidate. You could say, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, this is the message we want to drive. Please, no chanting. Let's not chant, uh, send them home tonight. You can do that. You can set a tone. But I watched the video, the runtime. Yeah. I never once saw but him say stop. 10 13 seconds. 13, 13 seconds. 13 seconds. <laughs> uh, will that change at the uh, rallies? Well, I watched that think too. Try and to I think probably nobody that anticipated that. Maybe they should have. And will they at rallies moving forward, do you think? Will, they, will someone come I, out and say something? I would think so because he didn't like that. He made it clear that he, he was not happy. That, that chant was said. I don't think it it's what he said, said the next day. Do you, do you take him at his word? I don't know. We'll see. To we'll me, see how this weekend goes. I think I think he wasn't happy after Ivanka Trump, Kevin McCarthy, Mike Pence, all either went to see him or called him and said, "What the hell were you doing? Did, what were you? What, what? Why didn't you stop that?" I always look at the optics of it, and I hate the word optics, but I always look at the perception of it. For example, right. So when he's sitting there. At his, you know, at his desk, and he's surrounded by everyone. Did you notice Karen Pence was standing right next to him? And I, I just thought that was interesting. I can't imagine. I can't imagine her as being someone who would uh, condone that kind of behavior. There's been a lot of reports about uh, about Karen Pence uh, speculation about how uh, she feels about the president. I know we've talked about this on the podcast. You also were talking earlier about Senator Todd Young and uh, his reaction to everything this week. Compare. Remember when John McCain shut down the woman that was saying Obama was a Muslim? And he said no. He said no. But he stopped a rally to say no. That's not right. We didn't do it. The guy didn't stop anything the other night. He didn't I, say we shouldn't do that. But, I, I didn't hear him say we shouldn't do you're that. Right. He, he, he didn't. Could, he no. could have said, let's, and, and, and one person, yeah. tried, I think somebody tried to say they couldn't hear what people were chanting. I think that the bottom line is he could have set a tone. On Young, I don't know why you get good points for being civil anymore. I mean, we've now, okay, well, let's realize that you were civil, so let's give you a good point. She should be mm-hmm. civil all the time. Yeah. We you asked represent- him do you, if you condemn the tweets, and he said uh, something uh, along, a bit short of that. Right. He, he, he he, it's not his, his uh, Everybody distances themselves from yeah. it at this point. The, but you're a U.S. senator of all of Indiana, not just of a particular faction. He said those sentiments are highly inconsistent with, with my own views. Where and, his I, and, he's, mm-hmm. and he's consistently said that. He's consistently said <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. The last thing on, on, the, uh, on the rally, I do think he looked uncomfortable and then it ended and then he addressed it the, the next chance that he got. So I, I think he deserves... We added a lot more buildup here for the problem. Yeah, a lot of buildup. Well, just before the... Can I just say, though, though, that it goes back to your words matter. And again, Robin has a great point on civility. You have a great point on you own your tweets. When you send a tweet saying send them back and you you double down on it, um, what ends up happening is it inflames everyone. And so they should have expected, knowing the tenor of a lot of his rallies, especially as we got close to the election with the locker up and all those pieces, I think they should have known from a staffing and an advance side that the potential is always there for that. Um, that's since we've my talked, point on that one. Since we, and I'm going to get to it now. Since we have talked so much about the tweets, I feel like I should clarify, he was not saying, um, saying what has been... Uh, described in that racist way that people can say that phrase. He was he was mad about them not being 
um, proud of their country, in his opinion, um, uh, hating America, in his opinion, and I, I share that to a certain extent. Um, and so he was making the point, go fix these countries that are in bad shape where, where people are coming to our country from illegally, crossing over illegally, and see what is happening there, and then come back and tell us how it's done. That was the, the entire conversation of or the, the way that the tweet was written. Three of the four were born in the United States. Right, right. And, right. and so yeah. it was yeah. a little clumsy. It wasn't, it wasn't the way that it should have been worded, but it, it wasn't one of those racist comments of go back to a certain place, in my opinion. And I know, I know you guys don't share that, but now I, I, I don't want to cut you off, Robin, if you want, or I can get to my. So the question then became. So much build up for this the question then yeah. became, right, right. The question then became. <laughs> Uh, oh, Trump's a racist. A lot of people were accusing. I don't know if anybody here is, and that's. Uh, uh, but that was, and so it, the way that I wanted to answer that, if it came to that clearly, uh, that clear question, was I've got personal uh, experience with the president when he was the candidate, and I've talked to him five, six times, once on the phone for almost eight minutes. Um, my family has met with him. We have a, a picture. So here's the props, um, and this was going to be kind of to make this a little more lighthearted, but. Here's our, we turned it in our Christmas card. I don't know Samuel if you can get it close. Uh, this is the 2016 Christmas card. These hats, they came from the Trump Hotel in Chicago where we stayed back in 2013. So we took them, he signed the hats. He was wonderful to the kids, wonderful to all of us. And that was one interaction. Another, at a uh, backstage of a rally, this was a, an Indie Star article where you can't read it, I know, but maybe you can see the, uh, his autograph. Signature there, yeah. At, because yeah. I, I was quoted in it and he was quoted in it. So to me that was pretty cool that I was quoted in the same article that the president was. I showed him and he was, he was, he was thrilled with it and signed that for me. And then at one of those rallies, I think the same one. There are actually three props. There are oh, three wow. props. You this take was, that out in public, This huh? was the, the mug that... <laughs> well, I thought uh, it was a candle. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's a mug. A votive candle. And, and, and now, look how happy he candle. is standing next to me I'm not Aww. white, so he's not racist. That's my point. He, he, he grew up in the most diverse city on the planet. He's worked with folks from all kinds of backgrounds. He's, he's been friends with folks from all kinds of backgrounds. He, um, he, he passed criminal justice reform when Obama couldn't do it. Nobody's done it before. There are all, all kinds of evidence that he is not a racist, but he wanted to draw attention to these four congresswomen that are intimidating others on both both sides of the aisle and he's done that uh, maybe the the word should have been a, worded a little different but but that's my point so and the props and the props, and the props uh, to, to make that drink point. that water Tony <laughs> drink that water could he have done it in a better way probably <laughs> <laughs> Robin you know I grew up in a family where we watched Nicholas Katzenbach go up to George Wallace uh, I was very young then and show him that students were going to be enrolled into school. We looked at the National Administration for Leadership. We saw Bobby Kennedy take on Southern people that were not going to integrate schools. We knew Lyndon Johnson was going to be in the White House defending voting rights and civil rights. You are a purveyor of history. You know a lot about history. One of the scariest moments, Tony, that I've ever seen in American history were the people walking through Charlottesville chanting, Jews will not replace us. Yeah. That was scary. Yeah, it's scary, was scary to me too. Scary to me too. So to see a, a guy who's our leader say that there are good people on both sides of that. He didn't mean those people. Okay. I'm telling you, he did not okay. mean those people. But I'm just yeah. saying, please let me finish. Yeah. 
there are good people on both sides. To a kid, I just wonder what a 10 or 11 year old kid thinks now of racial harmony. I know how I felt watching watching Cats and Back, and I was very young. Mm -hmm. My mother made us sit there and watch it. And we had a feeling that the federal government was on our side. So when you now look, I wonder what a kid that's 10 years old thinks the federal government is now. You got a guy letting people chant, send them home. You got a guy saying there are good people on both sides. And then when they approached him about the, 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 he talked General Lee was one of our greatest generals ever and all those things. I just wonder what that says to a young kid trying to figure out where to go in our society. I hope that you, who obviously have a connection and others, will make a point to this man. He has a responsibility as president of all of the United States. That's all. If a Democrat were a demagogue, I'd be here saying the same sure. thing. And I, and I want, my wish was for, is for all leaders on both sides to do more to unify this country. I agree. And, and there has been, I don't really want to bring this up, but the four congresswomen have said some terrible things about him and about others. It's on both sides. But back to a couple of points, he was not talking about those folks that were marching. He was talking about other people that were there the day before, uh, and, and that all that gut gets misinterpreted all the time. But he was not talking. Let about me people. let me suggest one thing. I think the bottom line of this whole discussion, I think Robin hit on it earlier, is that if we do not tone down the rhetoric on both sides, I really fear that 2020 could be the most violent year in America mm-hmm. since probably 1968. Trump is not the guy to bring people together. He's part of the problem. There are other people part of the problem, too. Um, and we need, we need a Billy Graham back. And I'm not sure who in this country has the moral credibility across both parties to bring the country back together. It's not Trump. I, I, I really cannot identify that person. I'm just at a loss. You know, I'm ignorant right now about that. But who is the next Billy Graham, somebody who transcends politics, transcends white, black, you know, Indian, Pakistani, whatever, to bring the country back together? That person has not come forward. And, you know, you mentioned um, 1968, um, yeah. and we were talking about it on the show, I the just, moon landing came in the midst of all of the division of that I just, I just time, sometimes right? feel, though, like Donald Trump is stuck in 1968. I really do. I just feel like he really, and I know you, you, no, you're going to no, argue no, with me, no. but I, I do believe that that's his mindset and that it really hasn't evolved from there um, because some of the, some of that, just that appealing just to these nativists uh, sort of sentiment, it, it reminds me that us versus them. I mean, we see it all through history. I mean, sure, if sure. you've, I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading on the Second World War and um, the events leading up to it. Um, and it was back then. I mean, we yep. saw it back then. So it's, it's, not, um, it's not uncommon for our times, but we live in a world with our phones and our iPads right. and where... Quick to criticize. Yeah, and where and some anyone, people... Yeah. I mean, I made a comment about the Today Show right. today, but where, you know, the Today Show today had a thing about, um, you know, some people don't believe the moon landing is real. Right. And you, Why you, you have... Why talking about the Today Show? <laughs> yes! No. Sorry, I know. No, well, you know, I just can't watch Fox, Fox and Friends. Fox Fox I can't and watch Friends. Fox and Friends. Sorry. CBS This Morning Yeah, fine okay, fine, I'll get yeah. on it. Um, right. But anyhow, yeah, I, I, so I do really feel like the, the, the level of misinformation is out there and the credibility that is given to that. Um, but you're right, the moon landing did bring us back together. Well, Mike, you're a student of history and also someone uh, better than I who might remember 1968. Yes, I don't think <laughs> I, I was not there. <laughs> yes, I was there. Um, I wasn't there either. Was, yeah. Tony, were you around in 68? Yeah. What kind of moment okay. was yeah, that I went around. in terms of 
Well, it was not, a unifying moment for this country. It was a unifying moment. First of all, my grandmother, to her day of her death, did not believe we landed on the moon. She died when she was 88. <laughs> well, I had a science teacher who That's right. got us but look at all the, she's all the guys who did not land. Scientific <laughs> and analysis. Let me give you a couple of stories. Really first of all, today, I saw uh, the South Bend Tribune posted, and I reposted an ad from the South Bend Tribune in July of 1969 encouraging people to buy a Magnavox color TV so they could see the moon see landing the moon for $475. Landing. My dad didn't see that ad, apparently, because we had the 16-inch black, black and white, and white right. TV sitting on a chair in the living room. Well, but all the, the footage is still basically black and white. Yeah, it's pretty except for the, yeah. yeah. Right, right. So, but what we did was all six kids and two adults, we all sat around the TV, we watched it, and then for some reason, we all ran out on the front porch to see if we could see the guys on the moon because <laughs> at that age, I was right. convinced I was going to see them. But then, about I think it was less than a year later, um, one of the great civic events I remember in my South Bend history is they brought a moon rock, a singular moon rock, oh, wow. to the lobby of the city council county building in Saint, in South Bend, and there was a line blocks long to stand there and look for a few brief seconds at a moon rock. And, and we all, something. the whole family got in line and we stood there for hours waiting for our chance. So it was a unifying, it was a great civic thing. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that many of the, many of the, much of the technology and conveniences we enjoy today happened because of research and getting okay. those folks to the moon. You know, even some of the moments that, that might theoretically be unifying these days seem to have political uh, undertones. You know, the World Cup. Uh, championship, oh, yeah, obviously, yeah. For, for Team USA. Um, so many things revolve around politics now. Yeah, they do. I mean, I in was in some my, way or another. I was ten years old in my backyard. I had it you set, remember, man. Yeah. I took the dining room table. I turned, I mean, chair. I turned it up. I was sitting like an astronaut, looking up. Had my telescope. Never saw anything. But anyways, you know, I was, I was absolutely sure I was going to see somebody yeah, right. moving around on it. Right. It was a, it was a really big, big deal. Um, so that's why I was saying earlier, Tony. I mean. We've got to give, and Mike, you kind of wrapped it up very well, we've got to give some type of inspirational spirit right now absolutely. that isn't based on division. Oh, absolutely. You but know. My, my only uh, <laughs> fault with that is that everybody blames Trump, where there's so much to it. Look at what Antifa did this week. They, they attacked an ICE center, uh, an mm -hmm. ICE facility mm -hmm. in Colorado and, uh, and in Washington, Seattle. And that is driven by the radical left. It's, it's, I mean, that's even further. And so it's, it's got to be both sides. And I, I go back to Trump reacts. And Trump is a guy that doesn't like losing, doesn't uh, see himself in any way as, as going to lose any battle. So he hits harder. And then, and then of course, he but, gets But he also goal. hit harder on the Central Park Five, mm -hmm. called for them to be executed. And they were all served hard time, and then were found not guilty of their charges. So, you know, I mean, this is not just Joe Blow just did this like last month, last year. This has been ongoing. I mean, they were found with housing problems as, as based on race. So if you have that conduit, I'd be using it more and more to try to say, tone it down a little bit. Because wow. you're right, Mike, I'm very concerned. I mean, it's even permeated down to, look, Pete Buttigieg running for, for president. The guy gets shot. Lost in this equation, the guy had a knife and got shot. I mean, that's been totally, like, not talked about. The guy had a knife and got shot. Presented a clear and present danger to an officer. The officer yeah. has since resigned. The officer has resigned because of all the, yeah. the heat that they took. Sure, a lot of times. That, and that's another problem. So with it's not just on your side. A lot, of, a lot of times you don't get the complete story. And then 
somebody runs with it, and then and that's the the narrative that's shared. I'll go back to the 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 uh, uh, NASA and uh, the 50th anniversary. I was at Kennedy Space Center with the uh, uh, wife and kids, and it's a great place, like you said, and you're uh, picking a, them as the winner. I, I, I share that sentiment. Um, I got to have lunch with a, an astronaut, and uh, cool. yeah, very exciting time. But I'll even politicize that because I'm also really excited about Space Force. <laughs> you got and, your Space Force shirt. <laughs> I know. Trump yeah, has right. said that you know we're going back to the moon and we're going to put a, f a flag in a, and, and man on Mars. So well, the other times. the other piece I think we we often lose sight of in in all of this too is that not everyone in this country is paying as much attention to the inner workings Absolutely, and who wins right. the day and sure. who doesn't win the day. Right. So. If you're a Christina Hale and you're running in the fifth district, which is going to be really competitive, um, you may say, well, Trump meant this and he was really doing this and he was really doing that. But that person isn't necessarily going to see that. Um, they're going to see the person who's come and knocked on their door 15 times. They're going mm -hmm. to have an opportunity to meet that candidate. Um, they're going to look at Susan Brooks and say, I like, I like what she said. I like what she did. And those swing districts have really been targeted by the DCCC mm -hmm. as right pickoff seats. Sure. Um, as right, I'm sorry, not pickoff, but pickup seats. Mm -hmm. um, that is a political reality that may very well come home to roost in 2020. We'll see what no, happens. I'm concerned about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens in 2020. Uh, I think we'll have to leave it there, but I appreciate all of you for coming in today Thanks. to talk about. Uh, no doubt a week that uh, had a lot of uh, a lot of news and uh, a, a lot of impact on people emotionally as well. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. With us. We'll see you again next week.